that in itself at the beginning is a death sentence for everything that I just worked for. You watch yourself deteriorate and like I had aspirations of playing professionally. And so like this was kind of a thing that, you know, like it wasn't a pipe dream. Like there were times where it was attainable and, you know, circumstances, whether it be me or outside ones, like just didn't happen for whatever reason. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to I've Been Better. I'm your host, Susan Youngstead. And today is a wonderful spring day where we are here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, I want to give a heads up that if you unfortunately hear me clear my throat or I sound super nasally, I am recovering from some allergies or maybe a sinus infection or something that we picked up. Uh, my fellow allergy sufferers can probably relate to this time of year in the Southeast is no fun. And the rain does not help. No relief in sight. So please forgive me for that. Um, and I wanted to give a quick thank you to all of our dedicated listeners. And as our guest today greatly told me that we've got some cool fans. We've got people that I don't even know who listen to this podcast and share this podcast and have been telling their friends and their family. So I wanted to say thank you. And I'm really excited to introduce today's guest to y'all. So get ready. On today's episode, we have a friend of mine whose name is Kyle. Kyle and I met how many years ago now? At least over two, at least. Like three or four. Yeah, probably like two, three or four years. And we've met through another couple mutual friends that we have. And then over time, we've our friend group has just been more integrated. But, you know, Kyle and I got to know each other a little bit more through hanging out at this local watering hole bar that we like to hang out at. And then now we see each other in some more social settings. Now that COVID is opening back up, to share a little bit about Kyle, he is a business development representative for a staffing company. He enjoys listening to music, working out, coaching baseball, watching sports, and spending time with his friends. He's also a brand new cat dad. Got a sweet little orange kitty cat who is very, very cute and a little monster. If any of y'all out there, our listeners, have a kitten, have ever had a kitten, want a kitten, Get ready for this little terror to run through your house. Yeah. Can you attest? I'm glad that I have wood floors mostly. <laughs> <laughs> the consensus. Yes. Wood floors. You know, we got our carpet replaced in our home back in November. And it was right before I came to share the space with my two cats. And we like look back like, was that the right decision to make? The carpet needed to be changed. But of course... Hardwood is always better for cats, I think, because their claws do a lot of damage. Tears up anything is hands-on. Like, figures out how to get a new different space, like a new space every day. Yeah. So we're in that fun stage right now. Well, welcome to the family. Welcome to the cat family. Kyle, please tell us a little bit more about your, yourself. Um, you know, I just uh, work a lot, uh, try to stay busy. <laughs> You know, the nine to five is nine to five, you know, doing sales and stuff like that. But, um, you know, coaching probably two to three nights a week, a lot of times on the weekends. Yeah. Um, that was something I started doing probably like a year and a half ago. Okay. Um, and that was I, like, that was the only thing I did during the whole pandemic for work. Um, and that was great. But, um, yeah, it's usually what I like to spend a lot of my free time doing if I'm not, you know, hanging out with friends or going out to some bars or parks or riding bikes around, stuff like that. Yeah, you do a lot of outdoor activities. Yeah, I, I try and be outside like as much as possible. Like I don't like inside. I don't like winter. Like I like it to be hot, humid, sticky, Ugh. to be outside. You live in the right place for that. Yeah, exactly. Remind me again. So you, as we mentioned, you just became a cat parent. Yeah. How did that come about? Have you ever had a cat before? No, um... I always wanted a golden retriever and then it kind of just turned into like, I wanted a pet, but like there's no way in hell that I could get a dog and he wouldn't be an asshole by the time he's <laughs> six months old with my schedule and stuff. Like he'd always be in a crate. Like I spend too much mm -hmm. time on the road and stuff like that. And then I don't know. My dad always had cats. And so like, that's so cool i wasn't like a person who's like strong dog strong cat like that way so i was like i get a cat you know low maintenance yeah you can leave the house for 48 hours and they'll just be like hey man, they will survive like, yes pretty sure they sleep the whole time but yeah most of it i really want to get one of those cameras yeah like the furbo cameras you or don't something. have to put it in one spot yeah and they'll just lay on the couch for two days sleep for 
Yeah, 48 hours. I love that. What is your cat's name? Shine. Where'd you get the name from? Um, I was trying to come up with names. Like I had like a list of like seven or eight names or something like that. And the lady off Craigslist like kept sending me pictures of him. I was like, man, he doesn't look like any of this shit. And, so you had names picked out ahead of time? Yeah, like, I mean, they're just mostly like things that would make me laugh. Like if you say it when you're mad. Yes. So like Ed. Richard. Ed like is a oh funny God, I love ass that. cat name for me. But I love that. Somebody suggested like Sunny. And I was like, man, do you know how many orange cats are probably named Sunny? And then I just got a sunshine and then shine, which could also, I guess, mean moonshine or something like there that. There you like, go. So. It has and it's multiple syllable, different meanings. So that way, you know, if you yell it, you don't have to like have a lot of lung capacity or something like that <laughs> i love that and no that's a really great way to get to a name that's how so niles i had his name picked out right before we went to get him and because yeah. it's an old like british man name and i <laughs> love it and that was part of you know why i liked it was because it's easy to say and it's funny when you yell at him and yeah. he's like we like to say that if my male cat niles had a human persona he would be a sassy gay man is what we call him because that's how he behaves and we think the name fits him perfectly do you feel like shine has grown into his name at all to me yeah i mean like shine's like bright and like that's what the word is right and that's like Mm -hmm. it's an adjective and things like that and then i mean it was cool experience to get him and stuff like that and like that's you know i don't know i've been pretty much you know living alone for like what four out of the last six years or something like that and I think my last roommate had a dog, and so I started living alone again. I was like, "Ah, oh, crap! Like I don't have anybody to hang out with." And yeah. like, yeah. And having a roommate with a dog is the best thing because you get all like the cool stuff, but you don't have to go. You have to pay for the dog. You don't have to pay for the dog, but you don't have to take him out when it's raining. Yes. Or you know, walk him, do all that stuff. <laughs> you just hang out with him, watch TV. You get all the perks of having a dog. Exactly. Yeah. Well, good. Well, he sounds like a very sweet little kitten. We'll have to get him out. You he think you're going to bring him outside ever? That motherfucker will never see outside. Because <laughs> yeah, he won't never come it. back. Yeah. Yep. He will never come put back. put him on a harness. And I ain't got a cat door at my apartment or anything like that. You have a cat door in an apartment? No, I don't. So oh, I, don't I was like, oh my door. gosh. Uh, well, you know, I'm not a huge fan or advocate for outdoor cats because they are destructive and they can be killed very easily. And then people also take them in thinking that they're oh, stray yeah. cats. Well, here is different. Like, you're in the city and stuff like that. Like, I think, you know... Like all of my dad's cats were, there's just a cat who just came and went as they please because we yeah. lived out in BFE. Like, yeah, if they have like a barn, my dad's cat was a barn yeah, cat yeah. before, right? So she lived on a farm. Yeah, more space. Farms, man. I lived on a farm for like a summer. It was like a horse farm. What did you do on the farm? Um, worked at an ice cream shop and a go kart <laughs> track at the beach. No, my old roommate had a horse farm and like, there's horses, uh, there's a mini horse, there was a goat, there's chickens, rabbits. That sounds so fun. Well, it's terrifying. They're like, I'm scared as fuck of horses. Like, <laughs> I remember one time they told me, like, go out there and let them out to feed, like, to pasture. And, uh-huh. like, you open the stable and they can either go, like, in the front yard and they have a bunch of land, obviously. Or they would go to pasture. And my friend Griffin, who's in vet school now, and she's the one who grew up on that farm, was, she's like, just open the door and stand there like your arms out. And they'll be too scared, and they'll go to pasture, and they were not scared at all. And so I had to, like, call their whole family who was all at work. I was like, you got six horses in your yard. Like, I don't know what to do. You're like, how do I get them back in? They were not afraid of me. Yeah, they're not even a little bit. Sounds like, like what you have to do with a bear. You have to act really big. I don't ever want to figure out what I have to do with a bear. <laughs> That's a great point. But it sounds like what, what they tell you, right, is to act really big and scary. But horses are magnificent creatures, and... They should be revered very much so. So strong and so fast. Yes. Well, I'd love to have a horse, but we can get into that another day. Very expensive. (laughs) Very fun. We did that for my birthday this year due to COVID. We needed something outdoor. My birthday's in the wintertime. And so we went and rode horses. Where'd you go? It's over towards Rollsville. And it's on a farm out there. And they do guided horse trails by the hour. And it was really cool. How long was the trail? Uh, I don't know. At least a couple miles, but it took a full hour. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's really nice, and it was COVID-friendly, and it was a lot of fun. You know, for those of us that live in a city, we don't get to ride horses on the daily. That's true. Yeah, it was good. Kyle, when I was talking about this podcast, I want to say we were talking about it 
at one of our local bars that we go to. Yeah, the Rochambeau. Yeah, and we were, I don't remember, I think we were just talking about it. I was talking to our group of friends, and then I either, I said something to you, somehow we got it, and I was like, you should be on this podcast. Yeah, and you were like, okay, I think I know (laughs) what I'd want to talk about. And I was like, yeah. that sounds great. And, you know, from what I've known about you, and as you just mentioned, you are a sports guy. Mm-hmm. You enjoy sports. And one of those sports that you've enjoyed is baseball. Mm-hmm. And so when you and I got to talking and, you know, we use this form to help gain some idea of what our guests would want to talk about and help guide them a little bit. And you said, you know, when I stopped my baseball career, you know, and what took me out of playing that back in 2015. And that's something that, you know, you felt like was a time where you had absolutely been better. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, uh, when it ended and stuff like that, I spent, you know, the last two years playing, like, my shoulder ripped apart and just getting, like, cortisone shots every six weeks. Oh, um, my gosh. What was so your position when you played? I was a pitcher. Okay. And so, I mean, when I got done, I had, you know, I had a surgery. And, you know, it started off as just supposed to be, like, a labrum surgery. And it ended up being, you know, labrum is like what 330 something degrees torn out of 360 and by that time like one of my rotator cuffs had ripped off oh my god and things like that and so because the mri that they had was two years old by the time they put me under the knife and so i got out you know i graduated school and immediately had this massive surgery and then yeah how old were you uh 22 oh my gosh 23 somewhere around there that's a major surgery to have in yeah. your early 20s. It was my second one, too. I had one in 2011 on my elbow, but um, the shoulder one, I mean, like, I did that, you know, and you spend, like, two weeks, like, hooked up to this shit that shoots ice around your arm the whole time. You got, like, e-stim, like, on your body at all times, so you just can't move, basically, for, like, two uh-huh. weeks, and you're on all these painkillers and things like that, and then, like, I think it was, like, two weeks after the surgery, I finally, like was able to start getting off the painkillers and mm-hmm. things like that. And then I woke up and like my cheeks were fucking like look like I had golf balls in my mouth. Oh my gosh. And so then it's like I had to get like emergency wisdom teeth surgery like two <gasps> weeks after that. And so how did that happen at the same time? That <laughs> is nuts. I just remember like, you know, the shoulder surgery they give you like serious painkillers. Like yeah. I was on probably like forty milligrams of oxycotton a day. Oh my gosh. And I remember getting the wisdom teeth surgery and they took them all out at this one time and um the dude handed me like tylenol and i was like man you're like really you don't know what i've been taking for six like two or three weeks right now i was like this is not gonna do it yeah <laughs> and so and you're still recovering from a major sh- shoulder yeah. surgery and i like i mean i lost like you know 50 pounds probably in like two or three months from just not being able to eat and being like just doing nothing um Luckily, I had one buddy who had just tore his knee uh, that year, and he had surgery. Thankfully, the same he time. tore his knee. You know. Well, I'm saying I'm sure he's grateful for it. He's probably like <laughs> glad Kyle had shoulder surgery at because, the same time. Yeah, yeah. Like, we were both just bedridden, and so we would figure out a way to get him in my apartment. And just uh, the Women's World Cup was going at that time. Yeah. And but we were both on so much medicine that it was we would couldn't stay awake. And so what we did was I bought this like two cup coffee pot and we would buy like 13 flavors of coffee and just like have one cup at a time to stay awake and like watch these games that were at like 2 a.m. or something, wherever they were playing. Yeah. And that was our way. That was the only way to stay awake was just to keep like downing coffee the whole time because the painkillers would put you to sleep. Wow. What an adjustment. Tell us a little bit about. You know, I want I want us to come back to how this must have been a major transition from college life and playing baseball. And I'd love to hear how you got into baseball as well, if you want to find a way to stick that in there. But talk about you just said bedridden for weeks on pain medicine, major shoulder surgery at 22, 23. That's when people are graduating college and finding careers, you know, and making this other big adjustment in their life. But that sounds like. I don't even know how to describe what that must have felt like for you. I mean, like the surgery sucks. Like that's a thing that sucked for, you know, a month or two probably. Yeah. And then when you start getting moving and stuff like surgery, surgery, you know, like I said I had one before. And so that stuff doesn't bother me as much as, you know, there's this abrupt ending to something that you did uh, every day for, mm-hmm. you know, 
probably, I mean, sports every day since I was like five, you know, but play college baseball, like your day is usually, you know, you wake up, you go to a workout, you go to class, you go to practice, you might have another workout that night. Like it's, it takes over everything. It's the only thing that you do. And, you know, I think a, a piece of advice I like to try and give kids at times is like, you know, make sure you have other stuff going on or other interests and things like don't let that define you, which is kind of a dumb thing to tell people because like if you're going to be that good at something like it's it's going to like it's going to it's going to consume part world. of your life yeah it's going to consume your life period not yeah. part of it like it's yeah it's all encompassing and to me you know like uh like i had aspirations of playing professionally and so like this was kind of a thing that you know like it wasn't a pipe dream like there were times where it was attainable and you know circumstances whether it be me or outside ones like just didn't happen for whatever reason and i was you know as a kid i was arrogant like really arrogant really brash it's always weird like i mean a lot of people i hang out with around here they didn't know me when i was like then and i'm a completely different person now than i was like i was very brash and loud arrogant like probably mean at times like a lot of times it wasn't a pleasant person to be around because i think that you know when you're a kid like all that stuff dictates it like when you know ball was going good i was going good and if it wasn't when you it were... wasn't then you know neither am i <laughs> wow so not only did this consume your life the sport it also dictated your mood most of the time 100 percent. yeah 100 percent. how old were you when you got into playing baseball I mean, I played it like, you know, since I was five, but I was really liked basketball when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And then uh, in middle school, I was short and fat. And so (laughs) (laughs) basketball got less fun for a little bit, Uh, but I wasn't bad at baseball. And then I guess when I grew, like, I I don't know. I like the fact that, you know, I like team sports a lot. Um, The more and more I get older, I like the team aspect of things. but when you're pitching, you can you're in control the whole time, mm-hmm. and that was one reason I pitched when I was a kid is I couldn't play the infielders. I couldn't keep my attention span there, like I couldn't pay attention long enough to play like shortstop or something like that. So I always had to either pitch or play first base. So it's I like I one of involved. those kids. It's like one of those kids in um those that what's that Disney movie Meet the Robinsons? Have you ever watched that? No, that Pixar movie. I think maybe. Well, at, at one of the characters in that movie is playing baseball, and he's just out in the outfield. Like in La La Land, yeah, like spinning around in a circle. I never like, and hitting, hitting is so stupid. Like you do it, and like <laughs> you have to wait like two or three whole innings before you get to do it again. Like you only yeah. do it like three times a game. Wow, the pitching was a good place for you. Yeah, yeah, I like to throw shit. Um, I was always really good at it too. Like you know, being involved in that stuff, and I was just naturally good at it. like sports. Always came easy to me and so I didn't mind working at it mm-hmm. um as far as like you know getting comfortable with things and I just got sucked into it like I was a really really competitive kid like against myself like my mom was actually my aunt and uncle came down they go to the beach every year uh, in Curry Beach and like they were bringing up this shit like you know when I went out there with them one time I was like six and I was like swimming laps in the pool and I was like making them all time it and then be like just for yes. fucking two hours like swimming like a crackhead did pool. you ever dive for a money clip or any of those dive oh hell those yeah. dive toys that, that we had as kids all that shit yeah <clears throat> we had like one friend in our trailer park growing up that had a pool and like everybody would always be at his house and yeah those those sticks those rings little <laughs> keys and shit yes. like that yeah so team sports are something that you enjoyed but being yeah. in a team sport, it sounds like the role that came natural to you as a pitcher. There's a little more control. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that, too. I mean, like, you know, I, I think, the re- like, you know, I told you a little bit about why this was good to talk about is I think, you know, a lot of athletes and stuff, who they don't talk about it. And I do know, you know, I have friends and stuff that I played with that had a weird time finishing up. But, it, you know, we just talked about, like, it dictates your whole mood and your everything. And, like... And it's weird, like, especially now when I'm older and, like, since I've been done and had time to reflect on that and, like, what I do now and things like that is, uh, like, you watch yourself change throughout those whole things, right? Like, there's there's always, I always say, like, you know, anything pivotal that's ever happened in my life, like, there's a way for me to tie it back to 
something to do with it, whether it's been, you know, a job in it or playing it or coaching it or things like that. And, um, I wasn't a good team player when I was a kid. And I think that's why I really liked pitching was that I didn't like, you know, there's a score and stuff like that. And I got a team, but like, I'm the one in charge of this right now. Like I'm the one who's doing this. It doesn't matter what you guys do. Like this is me right now. And I think that's, you know, that's how I viewed it a lot when I was a kid is I just wanted to be like the best player. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to be that, like, it didn't, you know, I I really wanted to win. Like I'm very competitive person, but, um, I was very like a selfish teammate, I guess, when I was a kid, like all the way through high school, I think. Um, I think a lot of that was, I played on a lot of bad teams, you know, and you don't see winning, you don't figure out how to do it and make those adjustments and Mm -hmm. things like that. And then, you know, that was the attitude I went into college with. Where did you go to college? So I went to four colleges in five years. And so the first school I went to was a division two school in South Carolina. Um, and you know, I was there and probably they tore my elbow like before we even had a practice. Oh my God. How did that happen? Um, if you can remember. No, I know exactly how it happened. (laughs) So, you know, I told you I'm from like a very rural area. Like it's Bailey, North Carolina is, you know, just 500 people like last census is like a big fucking deal. And so just the resources there and stuff like that, you know, people don't internet a lot out there, I guess. And so (laughs) I probably didn't take care of myself the best when I was a kid. Um, And I don't think people took care of me the best when I was a kid, like in high school and stuff like that. And I don't think it was out of animosity. I think it's just, lack of knowledge and just ignorance um and so when i started going to a doctor there and they started you know i was like well how does this happen they started saying all this stuff and i'm just like in my head like checking off a list and i'm like like, yeah it's probably about time then like yep but um everybody there you know like i went to like six or seven doctors at this place that the college set me up with and like all of them were you know nothing's wrong like nothing's wrong they took mris and shit and there was like the, I could still run. Right. And so we had like a morning running one time and I like hurt my knee and like somebody had to like help carry me off the court. And like, the only thing I remember is like the assistant coach was like shields. If you're a horse, I'd shoot you. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to stay here. And so like, (laughs) yeah, you're like, cool. I am not supported here. Yeah. And now, I mean, and that too is that time right there at a Christmas. I left at Christmas. And that was the first time that, like, when I was somewhere, like, that had to do with baseball, that I didn't feel like I was the best person there. Mm. And it was the first time, like, I experienced that. And then also, you know, having all these doctors being like, you know, nothing's wrong with you, nothing's wrong with you, nothing's wrong with you. And I'm like, super invalidating. Something's wrong. Something is like, it's been eight weeks. This still feels like somebody's jamming a knife into my elbow. Oh my gosh. And so I gained, like, yeah. 40 50 pounds like i was a massive dude um not in a good way i just pretty much would stay in my dorm like i quit the team like two three months in because of all that wow and just ate a shit ton of craft macaroni and cheese because all you have <laughs> is a microwave in there yes and pineapple juice for some reason Ooh, the that's one good choice there you go not when you have like six cans of it a day hey, true but yeah, I was doing that and I would drive to Wilmington on the weekends and hang out with the girl I was dating at the time. And then I went home at Christmas and uh, I was doing pitching lessons for a kid in my neighborhood. And I was like, man, I was like, this is, I was like, that experience really sucked. I was like, like I really miss doing this, you know? And like, but that was the first time, like, that I don't know, it took me, like, that was the first time that I think, you know, where I just had like emotions that I didn't know how to, quantify at that Mm -hmm. time like it was so strong because you know you defined yourself by this you know and like all of a sudden you didn't even get a chance to do that and stuff and so I kind of went into a different like a obsessive role right after that to where um I told you I gained like 40 50 pounds Mm -hmm. right and so I was giving lessons to these kids and um just as I was like, well, I'm gonna go to a doctor here. So I'll go to a doctor here. And so I bring, I still have the MRI images and stuff. And I bring it in there and this dude like grabs my wrist and he like wiggles my arm. He's like, oh, you need Tommy John. And I was like, what? Like you didn't even have to look at the fucking pictures. <laughs> and like, and so, um, 
when he told me that, like, I was like, well, no, I made a couple of calls to some coaches to try and see if anybody could get me on. Cause you know, Tommy John's a, takes a year to recover from. Um, what is that? It's so your ulnar collateral ligament is on the inside of your elbow right here. Okay. So that tears and then they cut you open, drill two holes on one side of your elbow and two on the other. And they sew you a new one. Whoa. And so you spend like the first six weeks, like locked at 90 degrees. And then like the first at that time, it's different now, the rehab and stuff. But at that time, cause I'm old as shit. Like they just <laughs> fucking first four weeks, old. man, put you right there and just Ooh. crank on it for Ooh. until it gets straight. And so, but before that, like, I had gotten kind of rejuvenated and I did get obsessive. Like I would put on a sweatsuit like every day in North Carolina summer and go in my mom's garage and I would jump rope for 30 minutes straight. Oh, wow. And then I would run two miles down the road and back. And I did that every day for like two and a half months. I lost like 46 pounds in like two months to get ready. Like, cause I didn't want to have to do all that after the surgery and shit wow. like that. Yeah. And so, and yeah, I think, and after that, I just dove back into it. Like I said, I've always been a competitive person and like, to me, it was, you know, you almost get this mindset that like, you know, everything is against you at that point in time. And so mm -hmm. like, I know for a fact, you know, at that point in time, like that's, you know, when I had a breakup at that time and stuff like that, because I wasn't willing to give anything else my attention. Yeah. Really. At that well, point you just time. said that this is a reoccurring theme, right? That yeah. baseball is all consuming. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's what, that's what happened. You know, I got obsessed for going to the next school I was going to, which was Brunswick community college. And, um, I went in there with like, I'm, that's probably the most like, influential two years of my life i think um in a lot of ways like that place you know i learned how to win there i learned how to be a teammate there, there you i go. learned like how to i don't have a big family like i told you before we started this my whole family's in new york um i do have relationships with them and stuff but like i'm not like a normal kid from rural north carolina where i got 600 cousins around the block <laughs> That your aunt doesn't live next door and yeah, grandma's exactly. not down the street yeah you don't go to grandma's house every sunday for lunch or whatever yeah. and like it's basically was just me my mom my dad my brother and so i think that was like the first time i ever had like a sense of family mm -hmm. um and not even just from teammates like i really became a part of the community there like i stayed with locals in the summer like once i got there i did not fucking leave until wow. i had to go to another place um another school and even then i went back there the first summer in between those two years and so like i went there and there was no guarantee that I was going to play. Right. So I'd narrowed it down to like a few community colleges and essentially my choice ended up being Brunswick. Cause I was like, well, you know, this shit doesn't work out. At least I'm by the beach. Yeah. And like, yeah. Something and so, positive. Yeah. And so I ended up going there and there was no guarantee that I'd be healed up um, and ready to go before then. And, um, Luckily, I was. I came back like two months before I was supposed to, I think, and I had a decent year, um, enough to where I felt really confident going into being able to get back to maybe being able to gain interest in like playing professionally and stuff like that. And then, um, again, that summer got super obsessive about you know getting in shape and doing all this stuff, and um, that's all I did for the whole summer. Oh. Um. And then, you know, we had our second year there, which was, you know, the most fun I ever had playing baseball, probably. Um, we went to a World Series there. It was, like, the first one in program history. It's amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, I like, I, I still talk to, like, somebody from that team every day um, or somebody from that those two years. And so then it was, you know, after that season, you know, like, it, all these things happened and a couple of coaches saying, like, you know, people are kind of starting to ask a little bit about, like, how hard is he throwing now? Like, and things like that. And so I was, I was back to where like I wanted to be yeah. and stuff like that. And then there's this, this really bittersweet leaving there to go to Durham, you know? Um, so I was going to North Carolina central after that. And so it, it was weird. Um, so a, when we also, when we left Brunswick, the, I told you we went to the world series. It was deemed like ineligible after 
like right after we won the bid to go there. And so that was like a weird ending to that. What was up with that? Um, we had two ineligible players, uh, grades wise, and it wasn't even, it's like they missed like an enrollment assignment and then nobody kicked them out of the class. They did all the work for the semester and got told at the end that like, you know, can you imagine? You can imagine you were there, but oh my gosh. Yeah. And it was tough to see too. Right. And like, it was a really weird environment there because everybody there was so close and like you would, you know, you say that to somebody and they might be like, you know, Oh, fuck those guys. Like that's Mm -hmm. probably how you guys feel about it. And it was never like that. And it's still not. Um, like nobody was mad at them, you know, still friends with everybody there. And like, I mean, it was just a cool place. Um, to be like that. I mean, I remember January 2013 is when I turned 21. Um, and we had like this terrible, my family had this terrible week, man. Like we had, I like totaled my car. Like my grandma died. My mom totaled her car. Like all this shit happened in like three days. What a week. And so I had to go up to New York. And I remember my friend Griffin, who was my roommate at the time, drove me to the airport um, at like 5 a.m. But like, I think like, I had probably had like 20 texts like at 5 a.m. where people had just woken up to tell me to like, you know, have a safe flight, like all this other stuff. And, and they're all teammates. Like, I I don't know, you know, there's, you've met 20 year olds and 21 year olds. Like we're dumb as shit. Yeah. We're a little self-absorbed at that age. And so it's, it was really cool place to be there and like have like, you know, that kind of group of people, um, around you for two years. And it was a big support system. And so, like, that ending is, to that those two years is, I mean, A, it's kind of appropriate, but it felt weird at the time, you know, that, like, some, like it was a big question mark at the ending of mm-hmm. that thing. But, like, I wouldn't have it any other way now. Like, that group of people's, like, grimy and, <laughs> like, everybody was, that's the kind of people we were at that time. And, I don't know, I think it kind of fits. Um, But Durham was a super weird adjustment going to there after that and you know like being on top of the world and stuff and you go there and then all of a sudden you got you know you can't go to the gas station and know everybody there or there's not like 50 people that you can just walk across the street and hang out with and stuff yeah much bigger town yeah yeah Yeah. to say the least and it wasn't like yeah and it wasn't small it wasn't there's no beach no Um, so that was a big thing nope not unless you count jordan lake as a beach, there is no beach in Durham. I don't. No. But, but yeah, and then I got to, you know, I got to Central, and like I said, like, a lot of this stuff was the questions and things, or the people that were calling a little bit, you know, like, I'm not going to sit here on a podcast and tell you, like, I was supposed to be some first rounder, but, like, there's a legitimate possibility that, you know, somebody was going to give me a paycheck to play baseball in a year. And I got there and just, uh, like my arm started hurting and I was like fuck mm-hmm. I was like well maybe it's just because we had a long season last year like let me give it a rest or whatever and you know they start seeing like big deficiencies and like flexibility and things like that and it, I mean it ends up being like a thing that I show up there and can't do anything for seven months pretty mm-hmm. much almost because they won't clear me because they can't figure out what the hell is wrong with me wow and so finally, like, they put an MRI on there and they're like, your shoulder's torn. And so, you know, that in itself at the beginning is a death sentence for everything that I just worked for um, and to get back to. And that was shitty. Um, you watch yourself deteriorate and things like that. And it, a, it hurts. You know, like it, it hurts physically hurts. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. And it like, you know, it's almost to the point where I always said those two years at Central are really weird. And a lot of times I always feel a little guilty to a lot of people that I played with there because I feel like I took, you know, these two years at Brunswick and like all these great experiences. I learned all these things and how to be a good teammate and how to influence winning and things like that. And those people didn't get that. Like when I got there, I don't think in a lot of ways because you know, I like I almost had to create this character in my head that like had to, you know, go out there and be a motherfucker to get through the day. Like 
because you know every single day you're gonna play catch and like every single day you're gonna work out you're gonna run you're gonna do all this stuff and so it's like you know when you wake up and it already hurts to brush your fucking teeth like you dread it yeah yeah um i think at brunswick too like i one thing that i've got better at was not letting that dictate my moods off the field Mm -hmm. i guess and it's really easy when everything's going good to do that but um i think the lines just got you know within those two years in durham got blurred and eventually just ran amok and for two years you know i was seeing a girl for probably like three years at that time Mm -hmm. and we had broke up shortly after central a lot to do with you know that because you're not a fun person to be around like anybody who's constantly you ever had a toothache oh yeah like and you just you can't ignore that no shit like and there's evidence to support right that chronic pain is depression at that point yeah exactly and so and that's what it was you know like I couldn't be in as good a shape as I wanted to because there's things I couldn't do. Um, when you just left a super supportive environment, that, yeah, even though you're this saying, shit happened. right, well, like, right, even though you're saying, like, looking back, you're glad you left when you did. It makes sense now, but at that time, you didn't know what the future held for uh, you. So you leave your chosen family, this support system, all that you've known in your familiarity, and you come to Durham, which is great now, but I can imagine six years ago is not the same Durham. And you go there and you go to school and you're away from everything you know. And you're like, and now I can't even play baseball, which is why I came here. Yeah. I mean, I, and that's the thing is, I mean, I did get to play and stuff. And one thing I do want to say is like, I, I'm making it seem like I didn't like anybody at Central. I think like I had really good relationships with a lot of those guys. And, you know, it's all part of the experience. Like I loved playing there. The coach there is amazing. Um, and he's a really good guy. Um, so even when I got, when they told me my shoulder was hurt, because at that point, you know, eligibility-wise, I'd already lost a year from my first surgery. Yeah. And so it was either you can have surgery and chance everything on your last year, or which means you lose a year of playing, or you can just shoot up and see how long it goes. Yeah. And the way I looked at it at that time was, you know, cortisone loses effectiveness after X amount. Like, you build up a tolerance for right. it. And so I took the first shot and felt like fucking Superman. and. I was, you know, the same person I was before they found out my shoulder was hurt for two or three months. But my plan was after that, and I had talked to the head coach there about it, um, was I kind of told him, I was like, look, man, I'm just going to play this year out and like, I'll probably just dip out and go to school somewhere. And um, he told me, he was like, you know, even if you can't play next year, I'll give you your scholarship. He's like, I asked you to come to Durham. He's like, I want you to graduate here. And so that was, you know, somebody does that. Like, I don't, if you're not familiar with, you know, the college baseball scene, like a lot of times you're just a piece of fucking meat, yeah. you know, and sometimes you're a really good piece of meat. Sometimes people really like you and then sometimes they don't. And um, for him to do that means that, you know, we weren't pieces of meat. Yeah. Um, he really respected you as a person. Yeah. Well, he really he respects his players and still goes to bat for him for whatever he can. And, that made me want to you know say fuck it i'll i'm in like i'll play the second year yeah so i moved back home after i finished grad school expecting you know two three months or something like that ended up being like seven and Mm so i'm like back home like working this shitty job at a sports bar where nobody tips at all and i'm just applying to fucking jobs all the time and I finally got one um, with the minor league team up the road, which is actually like the team that like me and my dad used to go to games at growing up and stuff like that. Um, the Mudcats. And uh, I was doing stadium operations and it whooped my ass like so <laughs> I much. I think that's where we, that's around the time we became friends. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, I remember going to a game out there. It's probably always looking at you with my eyes shut. Like, I'm awake. It's such a hard job. So fun. And so I was working there, and I think I had kind of started coming to terms with being like not a baseball player, but you know, it was still my identity because this is what I did every day. And you work in minor league baseball, you're there for 13, 14 hours a day on a homestand, things Uh like that. And so 
I had found a sense of comfortability after feeling like shit for not being able to get a job for seven months and living back home and doing all that. And I was really depressed during those seven months. Um, I just, I, you know, I feel like, you know, a lot of young people, including myself, like when you go to college and shit doesn't work out when you get out, you're like, why did you guys tell me to do this shit? Mm -hmm. Like now I got all these loans, Mm -hmm. I got all these bills. Like I did the college thing. Like who's going to give me a fucking job now? Like who's going to, what you said is going to happen, going to happen. Right. And that was kind of how it was after grad school is, you know, I had a psychology degree for and for my bachelor's, which, you know, you can't do anything with that unless you go to grad school for it. That's my undergrad. And so with that, like, you know, it took a year and then I was kind of like, okay, well, you don't have anything anybody wants right now. I was like, so that's, that's what grad school did. And then I got out of that. I was like, all right, like I went and got a master's degree. Like, Like, let's go. Someone hire me. Somebody give me some money. Like somebody, you know, give me a job, something at least. And when I couldn't find a job, like it was weird. I was living at home. I don't like being at home. Um, in the small town, uh, really small rural North Carolina. Like we talked about like people got like 600 cousins and shit. Yeah. Like right around the corner. And I didn't have that. Like my whole family was from New York. Yeah. And so home to me is not like a very welcoming place. Like a lot of those people, you know, my parents were divorced and I was like two. A lot of those people, that's Southern Baptist Bible belt as fuck <laughs> down there. Like they don't, a lot of people don't like divorced parents and a lot of people don't like people from New York. Yeah. You know, the Civil War's still going in some places. <laughs> and so it was never this place that I had like these huge ties to and, you know, nor did my mom or my dad and things like that. So like, yeah, I mean, it's where I grew up and like I have a couple friends from there still, but like never associated that shit with home. And yeah. I made it a point to not be back there for any extended period of time after I had left for yeah. college. But going the first back time. is like bowing your head. For yeah, a while. exactly. Yeah. And especially working at the sports bar, like the local watering hole. Right. Like, and it was not in a good place. Like I felt like I was like, man, I just got this master's degree and I should be doing something other than this. Yeah. Like this is, you know, beneath me, um, is what you feel like sometimes Yeah. when it gets there. And you no, know, not to down talk anybody who does anything for a living, but, um, it sounds like it just wasn't for you. It's yeah, it, just, you it wasn't yourself. what I had drawn out, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't what I had planned out. Um, so the Mudcats changed that. Yeah, and so that was a good, that was fun, man. It was so fun. Such a fun place to work. And, like, it was cool because I was living in Raleigh, so I wasn't, like, back home. Yeah. But I was at this ballpark, you know, and I could get, you know, free tickets for my mom or my dad, and it's only, like, a 15, 20-minute trip for them. Yeah. So everybody I work with is, fucking awesome to hang out with all day and stuff like that and not only that but like you know you work your ass off all day getting everything ready for a game but then it's like oh cool like i can you know while i'm working i get to hang out with my dad and like watch a game or hang out with my mom and things like that because i can get him tickets for those games and then i think what really started the transition for not letting that define me anymore is uh my one year there my dad died like right in the middle of the season a busy fucking night too like busy busy night and it's out in bumfuck and you know you don't get any cell phone service out there and my stepmom called me she never calls me and i was like that's not good i knew my dad was in a he was a professor at the community college at that point oh, wow. and so he was an electronics engineer and they had these competition thing this national competition that his kids had made it to like the finals in kentucky and so i was like well maybe it's something to do with that right and she calls and, like the signal's really choppy and i could tell she was like crying and i got a you know somebody to take my station i guess like at the ballpark with whatever i was helping then and I told my boss, I was like, I gotta go inside like now and call my stepmom back. And um like right around first pitch was, you know, she called me and told me that he had died, which was and it's it's not like a thing where he was sick or there was nothing like pertinent, like, you know, that could have done this. It's just all of out of the fucking blue. Like yeah. it'd be like if a house fell on top of this house right now. <laughs> 
and kicked my ass, man. Like, uh, I took a week off of work, I think. And, um, like I was really close to my dad. Like a lot of people yeah. have good relationships with their parents. Like I taught that dude every day, like at that point, you know, and everything was kind of like you ever, I'm sure you have it with, well, actually you don't, I'm sorry, but some people have their relationships with their parents start to get, when you get older is yeah. you see the transition of like father and son to like friends. Well, cause you're like adults now, right? You're both adults. Exactly. So you begin to relate to each other as adults. Yeah. And you do not need to apologize. Kyle. I know. You're part <laughs> of the dead. I mean, I kind of have to, but so, so are you, we're yeah. both in the same category, but like, and so <laughs> I, I felt like I had finally like become an adult at that point. I was like, yeah. I got a job. Like I'm living on my own. I'm actually doing real life things now that aren't like, fucking off and putting all this off to grow up and so that happened and it just got me um but we'll just say the least you just said your dad dies suddenly when you're starting to get your life together yeah and then another loss comes out of nowhere and it was it sucked like i mean i blacked out like a month after that like there's things i remember talking to you at rochambeau and you were talking about how like, I think I asked for your phone number when you asked me to do this. Yeah. And you're like, you have my phone number. I was like, I don't have your phone number. Yeah. And, and I was like, no, we definitely talked. Well, yeah. Then yeah. later that night, I didn't tell you about this, but like, I went home and scrolled through these like hundreds of text messages almost. And I was like, I don't like, it was like reading a book. I was like, this all sounds like shit I would say, but like, I don't think I ever said it. Like, I don't, I did not remember that conversation. My friend Griffin or her horse died. And like on the same day as my dad, oh, wow. she had to put it down and I had called her and I didn't know that her horse died for six months. Like she brought it up again six months later. I was like, I don't remember talking about that. Mm-mm. And so the, the minor league season goes through, you know, September a little bit, I think maybe August. And I came back, you know, I was really glad to go back to the ballpark after that. Like, I wanted to get back quicker than I came back. Um, well, it's a place of comfort, like you said. Yeah. And it was all-consuming at yeah. that point. So it was a way to get out of it and, like, a way to not be pressing on everything that was, you know, dealing with your dad dying, basically. Like, it was a way to shove that out of there. And I just kind of got to the point, you know, I told you I don't have a big family to where... I think after the season, when everything calmed down, you kind of got to look at yourself more. Um, or I was forced to, you know, because I was at home. But that was kind of when I was like, you know, like my whole fucking life, like high school, college, working and things like that, like everybody has done shit around my baseball schedule. Always. Every time. And there's a lot of things you know, whether it was my brother, my mom, and things like that, when my dad died, I couldn't be there for. Uh, or I wasn't as available. Not, like, specific things, I guess. But I wasn't, you know, reachable mm-hmm. um, a lot of times. And that, after that season is, I quit that job. I applied for some jobs, and I took a job working at a gym. Um, but that was kind of my book. And I was like, you can't, like, you know keep running from everything like this has to end at a certain point and i think it did have to end like a lot of people work in it for the rest of their lives and things like that but that part of it had to end for me at that time because i was it was i was just using it yeah at that point yeah like i still enjoyed being there yeah i was just using it and to not do anything else and then you know that season and then pandemic came right after that right (laughs) Good old 2020. And I told you I had worked, uh, I was working at a gym. And so my big plan was with my master's degree to try and transition into a recreation job because it's just less time demand and stuff like that. Yeah. And so I kind of had a job lined up and then the pandemic hit like a week before the start date and they cut the position. No. And then, so all of that and then obviously like the athletics and you know all of that shut down decimated and it's still not back um and so i hit up my old volunteer assistant uh one of my coaches from college and he's the one who runs the facility that i work at now and i mostly just did it out of boredom and you know i told him 
I was like, I don't want to work with anybody under the age of like 16. I was like, I don't want to deal with any kids. I don't want any of that. And he says, okay. And then a week later, he texts me. He says, hey, man, what do you think about doing a 12U team? I was like, fuck, man. Like, did I not just say not under 16? And so I did it. And I was like, and it was really fun, man. It's like, fucking love those kids, like working with them and things like that. And it's what I needed at that time. And and that's what I'm saying is, you know, it, it becomes wrapped into everything pivotal that's ever happened to me is, you know, I went through this whole shit and, you know, still doing it. Everybody is. But like, that was like a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel was, mm-hmm. you know, coaching little kids when you get to make an impact on them right you get to talk with them and you just told me like you know something i tell people is try not to make it your whole identity well now you get to work with 12 year olds and say hey don't let this become your whole identity yeah and i think and i think the best thing about working with them is that it's not at that point and that was you know for me i talk about like you know i looked at a lot of the stuff like this this game this thing owes me something and Mm -hmm. i still felt that way that time but you know, if you ever watch an 11 year old miss a pop fly, like there's nobody in the world who gives less of a fuck that it happened. <laughs> and so like, he's like, what? Yeah, it was, it was, I got reacquainted with like, you know, why I enjoyed doing all this yeah. again and like watching them do stuff and watch them pick up things that I'm teaching them, um, yep. watching them get better. Also watching them colossally fuck something up and not care (laughs) they're still so innocent yeah and i'm so soft with those kids too like god like there's when i played i was like so like i told you i was brash and like i Mm -hmm. wanted to beat somebody and tell them about how i was doing it the whole time so that way if they came up again that they did not feel comfortable yeah i wanted to i wanted to be in your head and like all this stuff is a nasty person when i was on a field and complete opposite. Like I was worried that I would be too hard on these kids. when I started doing that when he asked me to do a 12 view and like, I'm a fucking doormat. Like I'm you're like, a big teddy bear <laughs> now. It's fucking ridiculous, man. But like, and that's, that's kind of like, you know, been the thing. Like when, like when you ask me what I like to do and stuff, you know, is I think that that's the best thing that I have going right now. Like, I think, you know, I'm obviously still trying to figure out everything with, you know, you lose somebody you talk to every day. It's, I don't think it ever gets normal. Maybe it does eventually. It hasn't for me yet. Um, it'll, <clears throat> excuse me. It'll take time. Yeah. Right? Like that analogy we talked about a couple episodes ago where grief is like riding the waves in the ocean, right? Eventually the waves will stop knocking you down, but you'll always feel them. Yeah. And they'll come too, right? Like yep. you never know when necessarily, but they'll come. And it's like, yeah. And I think that the, like all that stuff happening and, um, I started going to therapy for the first time in a while after starting coaching and things Another like that. plug for therapy. Yeah. A uh, huge fucking proponent of that. I've been going like off and on for shit. Seven, eight years now. Yeah. Um, I did it in high school, but I was not receptive at all. Sure. And, sure. Um, didn't gain anything from it. But I started it after uh, when I was finishing grad school, like when I was trying to find a, like starting to find a job. Yeah. I had like a gap semester until my finals and I was already panicking and I was like, I'm going to do this. And like all those things and things like that is, you know, it's weird when you get mindful of like depression and things like that. Cause it is a weird thing. Like I'm a confident person. And so I think that, you know, talking to somebody about that stuff is good because there's a lot of times, like, I don't know if it makes sense that you wake up, like I still feel confident in myself all the time. It's always still like myself. It's like, just tired yeah like that's the best way i can explain it to people is you know like i don't know how to tell you like if somebody's like how are you doing you're just like tired and then somebody's like what'd you do today it's like i woke up ate a yogurt like yeah that's it yeah and i'm just tired like and you're miserable and it's like a storm clouds like over your head all the time mm-hmm. and you know i don't think that uh i definitely don't think like you can fix it permanently and things like that but the way i always try and tell people is it's like a car right like if you don't change your oil it's gonna fuck up like you gotta pay attention to yourself and stuff just the same way that you do physically or at least one of them 
Oh, God. Right? Well, it'd be best one. if it'd be both, right? They are so connected. So if you aren't taking care of yourself physically, your mental health potentially is oh, yeah. downsliding and vice versa. The quickest way to get out of a fucking rut, in my opinion, is always like make yourself wake up at 5 a.m. and work out for mm-hmm. a week. Like you don't even have to keep doing it. It was just a week. Give yourself a week of endorphins. Yeah, it gives it you like a kick, man. Mm-hmm. And but those things, yeah, I started going to therapy again after starting to coach those kids and yeah. um unpacked a lot and have just now kind of like I almost get uncomfortable when people talk about like when I played or, you know, and did things like that. Like I don't it's throughout the first pitch at a game this past weekend at a North Carolina Central and I almost felt uncomfortable like being out there and like doing that um because to a lot of those people you know and they're talking about shit you did six years ago yeah a lot of times and like at this point like I don't even know that person I don't see him every day anymore (laughs) yeah you're a totally different person though Yeah. yeah it's been yeah it's a long weird road but like that's kind of how you get past that, I guess. I don't know. This sounds fucking like a <laughs> end of a Nicholas Sparks movie or some shit. No, I think you're saying you know it's a you mentioned the analogy or metaphor of calling it a bookend a little while ago, right? Yeah. And so you're saying that that was a bookend that closed that chapter of your life, and then some people will bring it up, right? How'd you get here? Which is why I'm so grateful that you were willing to be vulnerable and come talk about it because you're like I have come to terms with and i feel at peace with that part of my life and so talking about it again i can imagine stirs up a lot i mean i don't know i don't think so like because a lot of guys i think that you know there's a fucking million baseball players like almost did something and i'm one of those guys and but i'm comfortable with you know the people i was around the relationships i made like doing it the memories and things like that and i don't have any qualms with it anymore it's weirder to me that i have transitioned i think into being able to like i have no ego about that anymore like i do like to talk shit to ex-teammates and stuff like that (laughs) one of the guys i coach with the 13u is a guy that we played against in juco and then he was on the team with me at central so like we're big rivals and then we were teammates and so me and him just talk back and forth a lot of times just fucking around and all these kids were uh, like we want to see Coach Shields pitch to Coach Ron, and I was like, "All right, like I'll do it." And man, we did it at a couple weeks ago at the end of a practice. And I think he hit a ball harder off me than a lot of balls that got hit off me uh, when I was even playing. And a dugout full of 13-year-olds laughing at you hurts, man. I like, bet. I was about to say, that sounds like, dangerous. That's uncomfortable. That is dangerous. As fuck. I've not been, like, booed or anything like that in so long. And like <laughs> That'll really put got... your self-esteem in check. Oh, yeah. And they all videoed it, too. Like, of it's course. Sent around text messages, like, to all the other coaches at the facility. Well, maybe it'll go so. viral now. Well, I hope not. But like... <laughs> I love that. But that shit's, yeah. It's There's no ego attached to it anymore. And that's a really like comfortable thing for me I love um, that. because for so long it was my entire ego yeah um and now it's not like i don't have you know i don't even get that competitive about fucking board games and shit anymore like, yeah. i'm just almost not really a competitive person um maybe i am to some but you know by my old standards not at all not like at i've all. Yeah. let all that shit go and it's a lot easier to navigate everything i think you let a lot more shit in your head as far as like acknowledging thoughts and feelings and things like that but it's a good thing you know like you're not ignoring stuff you're at least attempting to like who knows you yeah you're handling your shit now yeah exactly absolutely which is uncomfortable at times but it's necessary absolutely i feel like you're finally growing up at like maybe 30 next year so (laughs) it's a good time about time right yeah Kyle, how are you today? Um, you know, I think that you could answer that in a million different ways, but I mean, to say I haven't been better, like I'm definitely not in the best spot in the world, you know, like we're all dealing with our own shit, but adequate. 
That's a fair answer. Is that good? That's I a fair a, answer. I appreciate it. Got a new job. I got a new kitten. You know, there's other things happening, but there's, you know, the things I spend most of my time doing are exciting right now. Um, That's great. And new. And so, yeah, adequate. I like that. be a good one. <laughs> I like that. And you were mentioning that, you know, there are some things that you're already doing to take care of yourself, you know, and I, and I would love to hear more about those or briefly list off what you are doing. So you said therapy on and off, mm-hmm. something you're a, bit a, a big advocate for. You do spend a lot of time outside. Yeah. Yeah. Doing outdoor stuff. So biking, you coach, you know, you just spend time outside. Heck, we were just at a field day two days, three, two, three days ago yeah, with sure a bunch of people. A good idea. <clears throat> It's fun. It's fun to be, you know, in your 20s and attempt to actually run around on a field again. Yeah. Yes. So what else are you doing to take care of yourself? Um, I think uh, being more mindful, being more present. I think one thing I started doing a couple of years ago was um, trying to come up with something every year instead of like losing weight for a New Year's resolution or something like that. Like this year was get better at giving and receiving compliments. Wow, um, that's awesome gotten a lot better at giving them like receiving them is you know we haven't really made much progress on that front but <laughs> is it hard for you to receive a compliment yeah i don't know i don't know why there's no it's a common occurrence for yeah. many people that's that's the thing too is that's why it's so fucking stupid is like you think about it, it's like you're like come on it's not that big of a thing yeah but for some reason yeah we so struggle to nice. accept it yeah or maybe the, yeah like there's it's just a thing i gotta get better at and i think that you know being mindful of um relationships uh conversations being present in conversations is a big thing um you know whether it's friends or some random dude at the bar like whatever you're doing do it you know do it hard whatever you're doing and be in the moment for it yeah and so those are things writing is one thing like i told you when we just talked about like i didn't remember shit for a month um a lot of times you know if get in a weird space whether it's you know manic or depressive or something like that is i kind of wanted to start writing down like you know like i I feel like my brain is loud as fuck like I i don't know anybody else's brain maybe their brains are loud as fuck too but like a lot of times you know like i can't even think because so much shit is going on yeah and so trying to write down anything that is in my head like when you have moments like that or nights or whatever it is um and going back and reading it not just writing it down but going back and reading it and i think that helps a lot with like you know if you go through stages and seasons kind of like to recognize warning signs of things that are oncoming or recognize habits that you're getting into when you get into those kinds of places yes and so being mindful just fucking listen to yourself like a lot of people don't do that no when you just said it spot on i'm over here like nodding my head profusely because there's a lot of evidence one to the power of writing pen to paper right we lose that with technology but writing things down and what you just said about trying to catch patterns it's actually something that i believe it's from glennon doyle's book untamed but it's a practice that exists where we encourage people to write how they feel when they're at their highs and then to also write when they're at their lows so that when you are at your low, you can go back and read your high, yeah. right? And be like, oh, I can feel happy. It's right here on paper. And sometimes when you're on your happy stages, you're like, oh, well, I have had low days before and I've survived those too, right? Like it helps balance your life a little bit. Yeah. And it just, it's like a fucking manual, right? Like, I mean, I just talked about like what, 10 years of shit and there's no yeah. way I remember all of it. No. And know, so but... writing is so powerful and it sounds like that's really working well for you. Yeah, I mean, it sticks out. It helps you do that shit. Like, a a lot of guys don't do enough of that. No. Um, Men don't take care of themselves nearly enough mentally, I don't think. No. Um, Well, let's change that stigma, right? I appreciate you advocating for therapy. That's already something that we need men to go to therapy. You are supposed to have emotions. You're supposed to. Even when you're feeling good or when you're doing good, like, it's still a good place to go. Because it's just like you said, like, writing down, saying shit out loud, too, is the same thing as writing it down. But there's some things like I go to therapy, I'll say out loud and I'm like, God, it's so fucking stupid. Like, why are you thinking about that for three <laughs> days? And then you actually said it. And now you're like, oh, you're like, okay. Idiot. Yep. Like yep. just saying it out loud a lot of times can like fix your perception on something. Absolutely. It's like when you ask people like, you know, what should I eat? And they give you a suggestion like, no, that's not what I wanted. And then you figure it out. Yes. Sometimes like, you, it's called outward processing. Yeah. 
Yes. Some some people need to do that. And um, shout to all the homies who go to therapy all the time. Like <laughs> a lot of my close friends, you can ask them. Like I'm like a broken record. Like if I don't think somebody's in a good place or something like that, like like yo, go talk to somebody. Please go talk to somebody and be active with it too. Like the last time I went was um, I got a male therapist on purpose. Yeah. Because, like I'm outside of a locker room like i figured i'm pretty horrible at being like <laughs> intimate with men yeah and, then, and so you needed that relationship yeah. yeah and i think this is almost a form of therapy for me anyway like i'm a really private person in a lot You've of done ways. really good today i know you put a three on if you were an open book and i was like okay we'll I was see. Gonna try real hard like realistically it was like a one yeah <laughs> you did really good i think you did above a three it's, it's incredible uh, yeah i don't um you know, do things that challenge yourself, and that's how you figure out, you know, how to be uncomfortable, because you're going to spend a lot of your life uncomfortable. Learn how to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. I love that. Kyle, thank you so much. You know, before we wrap up today, is there anything that you, when we started talking, you were saying, if I can give any advice, is there anything that you have lived your life by, have started living your life by, that you'd like to share? with anybody else i'm a big fan of like mantras and stuff like that um but a lot of the shit i read is just grumpy old white dudes and but i just think i said it earlier is do everything hard you know um always try what you're doing you know whatever you are be a good one like however you want to word that uh to be present and mindful in those things and to you know if you're making fucking macaroni and cheese like make that shit yeah be like, the best <laughs> mac and cheese chef you can be yeah and not didn't have to be the best of all time just the best of what you got you know give what you got uh, don't overstress yourself about things um that you don't have any control over and do everything hard i love that well kyle it's been a pleasure to have you on here thank you for being willing to be vulnerable and as Brene brown says to be yeah, to show your vulnerability and share it with us because I think it's going to make a really big difference and I hope that you felt okay doing this. If yeah. you were uncomfortable, though, that's good. We did our job. I feel like the first 45 seconds were good. So <laughs> Perfect. Got lulled in here. You put a spell on me. I did. It worked my magic. There you go. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you, Kyle. It's been a pleasure and I hope to see you being able to coach more of those teens in the future and get some wins. You just had a win, right? Yes. The kids won their first tournament. So I've been coaching them uh, two weeks ago. Congratulations. I got a championship belt at the house. That's a treasure. Very That's excited great. about it. Yeah. Perfect. Well, here, <laughs> here's to a really good season. Yeah. And I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thank you. Thank you. You. Thank you for listening to I've Been Better. I'm your host, Susan Youngstead please be sure to leave a review and subscribe wherever you consume podcasts and follow us on social media at I've been better dot pod.